everyone. Welcome back to the Queens of Social Work podcast. I'm your co-host, Queen P. And I'm your co-host, Queen H. We invite you all to join us this week as we share, laugh, cry, and learn through our experiences as women of color who happen to be social workers. So let's get started. So guys, the month of October is here. We're in it. And so many things are happening. You have Halloween, you have fall, the changing of the seasons. But the other thing that we need to be aware of is that October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month and also Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And so that is our topic for today and something that we want to discuss. Yes, Queen H. So if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that we've been working in this space for some time. If you're new to the show, please go back and listen to our Let's Talk Cancer episode. I think that was like a season or two ago where we talked to scientists, Dr. Stacia Nicholson and Queen K about her cancer research and public health. On today's episode, we're not only talking about cancer awareness, but we're looking into domestic violence as well. And Queen H will give you a little history of how October became the awareness month for both causes. Yes. So according to domesticviolence.org, Domestic Violence Awareness Month was first introduced back in 1981 by the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. It was created not only to bring more awareness to others, but to connect and unify the millions of affected victims that had been battered due to domestic violence. Its hope is to break the chains of violence that currently have such a strong grip in the U.S. Domestic violence is so prevalent across the country. And so we're looking at also the history of breast cancer as well. And so according to NJ.com, National Breast Cancer Awareness Month began in October of 1985, when the American Cancer Society and the Pharmaceutical Division of Imperial Chemical Industry formed a partnership. The initial goal was to give women facts about breast cancer and early detection methods so that they could stay on top of their breast health. But of course, over the years, it has grown to be a nationally recognized cause involving various organizations and fundraising initiatives. So we've worked in these settings where we've led programs for the community around both topics. So yes, Queen H. So I think we talked about, you know, working with people in these settings, being out in the forefront of the community, educating about domestic violence and and breast cancer awareness. And the two are not mutually exclusive. Obviously you can experience domestic violence with or without being uh, inflicted with cancer and vice versa. So I wanted to talk to you about, you know, when dealing with people specifically for um, domestic violence, let's take Mm -hmm. that time. So we recently did an interview regarding domestic violence. And I think Mm -hmm. we've talked a little bit on the show about how um, we've interacted with domestic violence survivors when they come to the ED, um, educating people in the community, even meeting with um, survivors to do um, individual sessions and things like that. So what would you say are the things to look out for if you or someone you know may be experiencing something that feels like financial abuse, spiritual abuse, uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, mental, emotional abuse, what what would you say to look out for? Um, So, you know, having worked in this space, right, and in working in medical social work, you have to be aware of a variety of things, right, and kind of recognizing signs and symptoms. Um, I think one of the things uh, that happens is the isolation, 
right? The partner will isolate um, the person from their friends, their family. You know, sometimes things that may, may make your ears perk up is, you know, there is a checking in that you do with your partner, but it's a permission or I have to tell this person or they'll get very angry or, you know, whatever that may be, that is something to perk up. Of course, you know, there's the cliche, of course, someone wearing shades and it's winter or it's dark outside because they're trying to cover up a black eye. You know, there are all of those things. Someone who, you know, if they're talking to you, they have to give their whole check to their partner. They cannot own or or facilitate any money. And so I think there are so many different signs. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, when you speak to the person, if they're not able to really be themselves, that's when you need to really start to talk to them and see, you know, how can you support them? And then they may begin to open up about what's happening with them. What do you think about that, Pinky? I completely agree. You know, listening to you speak, I remember um, a patient I had who came to the emergency department and she had another woman with her, right? Like a friend. Now the woman is Caribbean English speaking and so was the friend. And the medical providers came in and out, you know, um, they kind of, we had the patient isolated a little bit, just kind of, you know, you want to be sensitive when people are telling you their business, right? This is sensitive stuff. So we kind of had her isolated, you know, by herself, kind of examining, et cetera. And like this woman just would not leave her side. Child, long story short, come to find out, it's the man who was abusing this woman who sent his sister them, people like you like to say, your people and them, sent the sister and them to the emergency room to make sure that she don't give up information, right? So of course, as the provider, you got to get creative. So you got to isolate her from the person and, you know, figure out tips and tricks and ways in which you can make sure she gets the information so that when she's in crisis, she can use that information to call or to make a plan or to um, initiate something that will get her to safety. Similarly, listening to you talk, I thought about a case I had that um, um, I had a young Asian woman come in and long story short, child, it was trafficking the lady. And like she came to the country with her documents and the people in them took her documents, took the green card, took the passport, took the visa. You know, they was like, oh, you have to work here. This babysitting job, blah, blah, blah. And then they refused to give her the documents. Oh, you have to work off. I mean, obviously that's a level of trafficking, but she also endured and had to experience levels of violence um, where it was not safe for her to leave and where, you know, um, there were so many other pieces to um, creating a safety plan for her and making sure that when she left our service that she had what she needed. But you're absolutely right in terms of being aware, right, of how someone is presenting in front of you. Not for nothing, sometimes the caseload is a lot. And as a provider, you don't get the luxury of really spending as much time with someone as you would like. So I would just say for anybody practicing, please keep your ears open, right? And your eyes open because you can miss something. If you're thinking, all right, let's get to the next one. Let's move around. Let's move around. You may miss something really, really integral that someone's trying to communicate to you, but they don't have the language for. 
I agree. And there's something that you brought up, and I, I guess I want to provide some clarity around it as well, too. Um, so I feel like under the umbrella of domestic violence, right, you have intimate partner violence, right? That's what people mostly think of, right? Um, then you also have teen dating violence. That's a type of domestic violence, right? But then you also have this violence in between people who live in the same home, right? Typically, people do not look at that as domestic violence, but when you call the police, they'll say this is domestic in nature, right? And so um, the awareness of that, right? So when you brought up the case about basically the trafficking, it's still also domestic in nature because she's residing in this home with the people, right? That really reminds me of a case too that I had in the This was actually one of my first cases let me tell you, green in medical social work, okay? Tell me, Let me tell, tell you. me. And it was, it was a doozy. I had to contact my supervisor. It was a whole thing, coordinating a whole bunch. So anyway, it was a South Asian woman and she had, it was an arranged marriage. Um, she was a little bit older. Um, and so she was trying to make this thing work, but it was not working. She lived um, in another state. However, they brought her to the doctor in the state in which we were working because they didn't want no red flag. You, you see what I'm saying? People don't know what to want, right? Listen, it was, a, it was a tumultuous thing. And long story short, the husband brought her there and he was there by the bedside, but somehow, because of the way that her injuries were, and she had come several times before, the doctor felt it was fishy and called social work. Here comes this young social worker. Do, 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 do. I'm here. How can I help you? And it was a whole thing because she was allowed to work, but the money was taken. She was allowed to work, fell in love with someone at the job. And he was going to help set her free, girl. Okay? Look, Bacchanal. Oh, my God. Bacchanal. <laughs> it was a whole thing. So we had to try to separate her from the husband because there was some more information that was found out. And I can't even say what it was because that may give away too much. And the girl ended up being in the EB all weekend to try to see how we could get a plan, right? Together for her, contact her family because she was scared for her family back in her home country because the people them knew her family and was scared that they were going to kill because the whole family was in it. Not only was the husband putting hands and feet on her, the mother was putting hands and feet. The sister was having, people had called the police. The people had seen her in the window. There were construction people around, seen her in the window. And she's saying, help. They called the police. They hid her. They took her to the sister house and another place to hide her so that when the police came, they would not see her battered, right? So it was a whole thing, but we were able to develop a plan. But listen, this poor little social worker, new to medical social work. I had done, you know, child welfare. I had done mental health, but this was like crisis intervention. Okay. Immediately get this point. Cause this lady was not going to be safe. And this is where it comes in and really being able to develop a plan, knowing resources, learning resources. And if you work in a 
setting that have other disciplines, really being able to communicate with them on how important this is. Because listen, the doctors, the nurse, everybody was in sync. We're like, listen, this lady life in danger. If we let her go right now, she's going to dead. Okay. We don't have time for that. So I, I know I said a whole lot, guys, to keep with. And I know you're like, what the hell, right? That's how I felt, right? But it is not just in this month. It's for all the time. But this month really hones in on putting the information out there on how we can help and support survivors, right? There are so many different organizations that are out there. And so you just want to try to figure out, even if you're someone who is not doing direct practice, you can be doing macro work. You still want to know because your cousin, sister, baby, brother, auntie may be going through this and you may be able to give them some information, right? Even if you know the DV hotline, that's, that's information right there because they will take it from there. As long as you give them the number and that person call, listen, they will make a record of the fact that that person called and they will have that information so that if anything happens to that person, boom, they already called, you know? For sure. So first of all, LOL, at, we ain't got time for people to be out here being dead. I had a cackle behind that. Um, what I did want to add to what you had to say, Queen H, was that um, even in macro work, you should know these resources. I'm so glad that you said that because at the macro level, you're helping systems change, literally, right? You're the one putting the policies and procedures in place. So absolutely, you know, there has been a recent push for knowledge and training around workplace violence. And it took us a long time to get here. And I'm glad that, you know, people are pushing more for that, um, the inclusion of workplace violence information and trainings for staff. So, you know, if you are a macro social worker, please continue to use the resources that you have and familiarize yourself with resources for domestic violence survivors because workplace violence is a thing. They come into the job, they bust down the window, everybody in danger. This thing can go left real quick and we don't want that. Child, that is a word. People will roll up to the job and try to bust somebody up. How you come into people's job disrupting them and, and trying to tear them up? You got that much of a problem. Yes, because I control you. You're not going anywhere. And I'm going to kill everybody in here today. This is what I'm saying. So you have to be aware of what is going on and the policies too at the job. Because you don't know. Listen, a victim has no faith. Anybody can be a victim of violence. Point blank, period. That's a real thing. It could be your own supervisor. Listen. Right? It could be the director of the program. It could be the janitor. Like... Queen H be saying, keep your ears to the street. Listen, I tell you, I have a, a young lady that I went to school with and one of her best friends was a social worker and she was at the job. The man come to the job and kill her down. Okay. She had order protection. She had all of it, but the man still kill her. And this is not to say that only men kill women. women there are men, women out there killing of the men and beating of the men too. We just, I'm just talking about this instance, right? It happens. So you do have to be aware. And there, there's danger everywhere. And I'm sorry to pause in the stuttering, but it is a lot. It's a lot to deal with. Don't even get me started. We can go on this, talk about this topic. No, go off, H. 
Listen, I can't go up because then we're never going to talk about breast cancer either, right? So we need to transition to the breast cancer. But if y'all need more information, you know that we drop the information in the show notes. We'll try to put national information because the national can take you to the local. Um, because listen, people be listening to us all over the country. And if we knew international, we got international listeners too, but I'm sorry, we, we don't have that information for y'all right now. So we just going to go with the national Google. Google is your friend. So yes, Queen P, bring it home. Thank you. Oh, yes. So um, I think a year or so ago, I did drop a list of like um, domestic violence resources for people in the Caribbean. So please go back and look at our Instagram and, and look at the tiles and you'll find the information. Of course, Queen A said it'll be in the show notes. But thinking about cancer, I have to tell you, um, working in medicine is it's an amazing gift. It has been a gift for me, let me say that, because you see people in all spectrums of their life and all phases and all transitions, literally from being born and mother baby to transitioning and hospice. And so if you guys are interested in medical social work, please, please pursue it. Please, please pick up our book. Um, it is about the emergency room and social work in the emergency room. However, it talks about social services in the hospital setting, period. So what comes to my mind is the first cancer patient that I had. And um, this member happened to be stage four with METS, which is short for metastatic cancer. Um, and metastatic means that the cancer is now spread to various parts of the body. And um, usually when someone has metastatic cancer, um, it is too much for the team to take out. It's in various locations. Cancer cells kind of change and they um, grow and they, they like I said, they change. So um, at that point, the doctors are usually like, you know what, let's call it. Let's um, identify this person as someone who has a specific life expectancy left, three to six months, 12 months, 24 months, whatever they call it. And um, having to support the member, educate the member, that's the goal. I think that, um, you know, if you've had a loved one who's had, had cancer, it's easy to... Um, see this patient that you've never ever met before as your loved one because the symptoms may be similar they may present a certain way you may have read the chart and you know oh this is the same thing someone so had or went through so this cancer patient in particular educating her about what comes next and what that looks like you know having a discussion with her about palliative um and eventually hospice and being there for her family and supporting and giving resources the best thing you can do for anyone in any kind of situation that they're dealing with and it's literally a life or death situation is to educate yourself lean into your supervisors lean into your team lean into um education around the medical diagnosis around treatment around um various treatments also because you know we're caribbean of course we're going to tell you to rub down some vicks when you're sick of course we're going to tell you boil the tea drink a little fever grass do a thing mash up garlic but of course we're going to tell you that so it, it behooves you to know those things also because that's exactly what some people need from their provider right so definitely know as much as you can share as much as you can with people um because it is life and death. Similarly, I've had young people who've come in and that was one of the most things I think that took me back from dealing with medicine, um, just being surprised at the level of young people coming in with cancer. Usually it's um, stage one, stage two, sometimes you get three and four, but um, you know, young healthy people coming in and really just having to, um, with breast cancer at that, men and women, and running support group and really leaning into that. It takes a lot out of you if, if you're doing group, right? you will definitely 
be taken with the work that you're doing. Um, but always remember as the provider, you have to give yourself a break too, because it's a lot. That's their life every day, all day, right? It's your life for the time that you're at work. And if you're dealing with it or you have family, then it's your life outside of work too. But you have to make some space for you to come back from the darkness that can come along with a cancer diagnosis. People sometimes hear cancer and they're like, oh Lord, this is it, you know? And they go straight for, <laughs> they go straight to the end. And sometimes it's, it's a complicated course of treatment before you even get there. So you just want to always be encouraging and be uplifting and, um, and educate yourself. That's really all I got, H. What are your thoughts? Listen, so, you know, they say all my life I've had to fight. I feel like all my life I've had a history with breast cancer. And, you know, it's not a, you know, you kind of chuckle to ease the pain. It's not funny, but, um, you know, my mom passed from breast cancer. And I feel like since that time, it's just been around. And so how I, for me, you know, outside of, just working in medical, medical social work, um, was able to transition as, you know, even in college, I did an internship at Gilda's club and I ran a support group for the children of people with cancer. Right. So I've always been in the scope of breast cancer, doing the breast cancer walk, fundraising money, doing that every year up to, and, in working in medical social work, we were so fortunate to have a director who was really about programming and doing stuff, not just going to see patients, but raising awareness. So uh, Domestic Violence Month came up, Breast Cancer Awareness came up. We were doing events, tabling, providing information um, to the hospital as a whole, right? Um, having people come in, having organizations that work with people with you know, DV or working with breast cancer um, come in to provide resources and support. And so I think you know, working in medical allowed us to see how to support families, not just the patient, but support families. And I think there's a, a part of cancer awareness that we need to speak about, which is when someone goes in with cancer and it happened to my godmother, but she had kidney cancer, but originally her first cancer was breast cancer. And that was 20, 30 years before she got kidney cancer. You know, when she had the kidney cancer, they asked her, does she have a spouse? And she said, why? She said, because generally when women get sick with cancer, their spouse tends to leave, right? It's not the other way around. Men get cancer, the women stay, right? Women get cancer, the men leave. And so what supports do you need in this um, battling of cancer? And if you ask a lot of social workers who work in this cancer realm, that's that, right? Looking at what supports does a person have, right? And then how do we support their support person? Because it does take a toll, right? Queen P talked about it, the toll that it takes to run a support group for some um, people who are facing cancer, but also to run the support group for their family members. Because it, it is, you're talking about life and death. It doesn't matter what stage it is, because you're right. When someone says, oh, I have stage one breast cancer, the first thing when the doctor tells them, they're like, oh, I'm going home. This is the end, right? Like they're out here like Fred Sanford, like Elizabeth, I'm coming home, right? But, but it's it's accurate, right? It's, it's a feeling because your life flashes before your, your eyes. But when you know that there's alternatives, right? You can do chemo, you can do that, but there may be alternative treatments in that early stage. 
but it's just, I think the awareness needs to go in, in screening, right? Making sure you get your mammogram, right? That's what this, this breast cancer awareness is about, right? Screening, funding research for, you know, cures and early treatments and different kinds of treatments that are not so um, invasive and um, disruptive to the body, right? Um, so yeah, I think I'm saying all of this to say, get your mammogram. My sister been getting a mammogram since she was 35. Listen, let them squeeze you up now, okay? It's a moment, a moment of pain to make sure you're good, right? You need early detection is important, especially if you have a family history. And nowadays, it don't even matter if you have a family history because cancer strike up people and nobody in their family had it. But it's better just to, to start that, that screening if you can. I agree. I appreciate you jumping in, Queen H, because, you know, I don't be giving all the information. I'm saying you got that. That's a good thing. Okay. Well, I think that's all for our, our episode today. Is there anything else you wanted to add? No, I think, you know, we took two different subjects and put it together. Look, how y'all think we did, right? We had to, we wanted to bring it all together and make sure y'all <laughs> got the facts for October. We would be remiss not to mention domestic violence and breast cancer, two big things that affect our communities yeah. tremendously. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for listening. If you guys want to connect with us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at the Queens of Social Work Pod or on Instagram at the Queens of Social Work. If you want more information on the topic we discussed today, feel free to check out our show notes or email us at thequeensofsocialwork at gmail.com. We'd really appreciate it if you rate, review, and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.